Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the top 10 1960s-born actors in today's episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. Today's episode coming out uh, a little bit late uh, is going to be all about the best actors on my spreadsheet that were born in the 1960s and no earlier and no later, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, you know, as I've been doing this periodic episode every month, uh, the further along we get, the more and more recognizable most of these names become. Uh, I would say most people, I would assume most people know at least nine of the ten names that are going to be on today's list. Um, unlikely that a lot of people will recognize the 10th name other than me having said it many times on the podcast in the past uh but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it uh before we jump into the episode proper uh, i do want to highlight a review posted on the circle of film .com. i uh a, an indie director sean rose reached out to me uh to check out his movie uh and and uh review it and i did uh, pretty much uh, same same thing I did with Ramakin uh, back with Cody Clark. Uh, there's a review it is posted on the website. It is spoiler free, um, just kind of a my general impressions, what I thought of the film. Uh, I think there's a lot of good aspects to it. I you know I admit uh, the early early part of the movie I was a little uh, cautious and wary about where things were headed and whether or not I'd enjoy it. But by the end I was very very much uh, pleased with, with how things went, and I liked it a bit, quite a bit. Uh, so the reviews there, you can watch this movie. It is on YouTube. It is only about an hour long. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was uh, out in the open. The movie is called Upstate Story. and is directed by Sean Rose. So check that out if you have the chance. Now, uh, let's get in to... This month's top ten actors. Starting off the list is the aforementioned tenth person, uh, who I think most people uh, don't know the name of. He's not a household name. You don't generally see him uh, in the movies that he's in. He is more of a stunt mocap actor than anything else. But I am quite sure that most people have seen a number of films that he is featured in, uh, including uh, the biggest movie in the world ever, Avatar, as of the moment, uh, the movie with the biggest opening weekend uh, in the United States ever with uh, Avengers Infinity War. He has also done motion capture work for the entire Planet of the Apes series trilogy that has come out. Uh, he was in Warcraft, Attack the Block, uh, Hobbit 1, Hobbit 2, Cabin in the Woods, uh, Kong Skull Island. He was actually not behind uh, a green screen or a mask or a suit of any sort when he had his very powerful scene in The Square, uh, which I quite enjoy. Uh, and that is Terry Notary. Terry Notary. So Terry Notary, uh, born August 14th, 1968 from, in California. He has 13 film credits that I've seen, uh, an average film rating of 72.62, no Oscar nominations, a value of 12, and a score of 74.93 to be ranked 45th overall. Uh, he is in the top 50. Uh, this is a guy, you know, much like some of the other voice actors uh, who are on this list in various points. I've talked about them in the past. I've talked about them on other top 10 acting lists. Uh, he's in a lot of great movies, um, and he's just, you know, he's just not a face that you get to see that often. You know, Cabin in the Woods is I, I, is great. I love that. Uh, as, as you know, if you listen, I'm a very big fan of the Planet of the Apes trilogy. Uh, Attack the Block, I think, is pretty fantastic. The Square is very good. Uh, the first two Hobbit movies are the good Hobbit movies, if... 
I mean, depending on you know who you ask, I think that the first two are good. Um, I think Avatar is really good. I think Kong Skull Island is solid. Uh, Avengers, I have mixed feelings about, but it's not bad. Uh, which leaves the only bad movie that I've seen him in. Or no, two, technically. Uh, Warcraft, uh, which is a little subpar. Uh, definitely not the dumpster fire that I think some people pretend it is. Uh, but it is certainly watchable, at the very least. Uh, however, a film of his that is not watchable, that I really only watched because uh, Terry Notary was in it, is a movie called The Forgotten Ones. Uh, it's a horror, monster horror film. Terry Notary plays uh, one of the creatures involved in the film, one of the villain, villainous creatures, I guess you would say. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's just very, very by-the-numbers, typical bad, bad movie. Uh, and that's that's it. It's like that's pretty much his his uh, filmography. Now he will be appearing uh, in May, or perhaps the end of April. Uh, Avengers: Infinity War Part Two. Uh, that is his next film role. Uh, according to this list, he is he basically does the motion capture for Groot. According to this Avengers thing, I guess he did it in the first Infinity War. But apparently not in the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies, uh, for whatever reason uh, there might be there. Um, but I, I'm a big fan. You know, if you've seen his scene, seen his scene in uh, the Square, which I think is on YouTube. You can find it if you search for it. Um, probably Terry Notary, the Square. Uh, that scene is not exactly representative of the whole film in terms of what that film is like, necessarily. Uh, he's not, I think he's in one other scene on a video monitor uh, during an exhibit, but he is just, you know, he, he's so committed, you know, and I think people in, in his position, you know, like like a Terry Notary, like a Doug Jones, uh, who played the 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 creature in Shape of Water, or, you know, even to a degree like Andy Serkis in all of his mo capture. Uh, when you're when you're doing roles like that, you know, it's one thing to embody a character's voice and, and, and a, char- a, a person's voice and a person's mannerisms. But when you have to not only, you know, act, but also take on and embody the 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 life of something that isn't human as notary so often does uh that that is a very very tall order and 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 you know it takes a very special certain skill set to really make that work and pull something like that off so i'm i'm always impressed you know looking at something uh like benedict cumberbatch as smog in the hobbit um, or you know, pretty much the entire ape cast in the Planet of the Apes movies, and uh, you know, Groot, you know, doing Groot in Avengers, or or doing Kong in Kong Skull Island. Like those are that may seem simple, you know, just like swat some planes out of the sky. But you can't do it as a human. You can't be human when when you're embodying King Kong. Like that's not gonna cut it that's you know you can't just be a guy in a monkey suit you have to be the monkey and i think terry notary is incredibly incredibly good at this sort of thing uh and uh it's a shame i i wish he got more roles i i don't know if he just was like because like most of his films you know came after 2010 i think the earliest ones are from are like the forgotten ones which was 2008 um, you know, he was in Avatar 2009, but everything else came after 2010, and, you know, it's a shame. I wish he would have gotten his start sooner. Uh, motion capture, outside of, you know, Smeagol slash Gollum wasn't really a big thing uh, in the early 2000s, but, I, I mean, I guess I wish it should have it should've been. Should have been. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm glad to see him on this list. I don't know that I would want him to be any higher necessarily, uh, as it is kind of a different field of of uh, 
comparison, but I do believe he deserved deserves this position. So that's Mr. Terry Notary, number 10, born in 1960s, number 45 overall. Moving along to number nine, uh, this actor was born May 26th, 1966, in the UK. She is, um, she has 49 film credits to her name that I've seen, uh, with an average rating of 61.61. She has two Oscar nominations, total film value of 16 and a score of 75.2 to be ranked 44th, so just one spot ahead of Terry Notary. She has been in multiple Harry Potter movies, as all the best British actors seem to have been. Uh, She was also in The King's Speech, Les Miserables, Fight Club, Ocean's 8, Big Fish, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Alice in Wonderland, Sweeney Todd, Corpse Bride, Cinderella, Dark Shadows, The Lone Ranger, kind of painting a picture here of Tim Burton, uh, because this is Helena Bonham Carter. Helena Bonham Carter, my number nine uh, right now, as far as this is concerned, uh, who has been in a lot of movies. Now, most notably, she has been in pretty much everything that Tim Burton has done uh, since, like, the late 90s. Uh, You know, one, she was in Planet of the Apes, um and so on, all the ones I, I kind of already mentioned. And it's kind of a, a, a blessing and a curse to be, you know, a Johnny Depp or a Helena Bottom Carter and find yourself in all of Burton's films because you're either going to be, you know, you're gonna, somebody's either going to think you're really good uh, and like all your movies if they're a fan of Tim Burton's style and his aesthetic, his macabre setting, uh, or... Maybe you are going to be associated with a style that turns somebody off. You know, I know people of both persuasions. Uh, I, uh, as you can tell, given her high standing, I'm a fan. I really like Tim Burton. I like his style. I'm very excited uh, for Dumbo. I, I cannot wait to see that. I, ex- I hope, expect, believe, think uh, that it's going to be good. Fingers crossed. Anyway. And I really like Helena Bonham Carter. I think, you know, especially when you look at her entire filmography, you can see that she really does have range and scope outside of what Burton asks her to do, which generally is kind of a similar role. But, you know, you put her in in the shoes of Bellatrix Lestrange, who is obviously very in tune with with, uh, Burton visually, but personality is is very different from a lot of the characters she's played for Burton. You know, you look at Fight Club, you look at Ocean's 8, The King's Speech. Uh, she's really able to step into a lot of different roles. And, you know, I think that that's really, really impressive. Uh, her two Oscar nominations came for The King's Speech uh, for supporting, as well as for The Wings of the Dove. So like a lot of British actors, she's done a lot of British period pieces, uh, including Maurice, Howard's End, Wings of the Dove, uh, Room with a View. Um, I guess you could even include Cinderella in that list, uh, and Les Mis, for sure. Great Expectations uh, from 2012. Not that all of these are, are great movies, but, you know, period pieces. Twelfth Night from 1996. Um, Lady Jane from 1986. Etc., etc., etc. And she she's just as at home there, you know, as she is in these fantasy movies, in these contemporary movies, you know. She, she my issues with Ocean's 8 aside, you know, she is... You know, she fits the bill. She does, she's able to pull off exactly, you know, a contemporary character as much as she is a period character, as much as she is a fantasy character. Um, you know, looking at Alice in Wonderland and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or, or Dark Shadows, you know, she can, she has the skin to, to move through a lot of different types, uh, which is not, not always the case uh, for, for a lot of actors. 
the the film so unlike Terry Notary, uh, who I've seen all but one film of, you know I've seen forty nine films of Helena Bonham Carter's. She's got credits in seventy nine films that have been currently released according to Letterboxd. Uh, the most popular one on Letterboxd that I haven't seen is called Francesco from nineteen eighty nine. Uh, a couple of the others are Enid from 09, The Heart of Me, 2002, or Angels Fear to Tread, 91, uh, and so on and so forth. I've seen most of them, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I really do like Helena Bonham Carter. I've sought out her films just in you know to specifically see her and, and watch her on in a movie because I do really enjoy her performances. I do like the way she acts and so on and so forth. But... Still a lot to go. Uh, Sweet Revenge, which co-stars Kristen Scott Thomas and Sam Neill. Uh, Till Human Voices Wake Us, which she stars alongside Guy Pearce. Um, Women Talking Dirty, next to Gina McKee and Eileen Atkins. Uh, there's there's a lot. There, there's a lot of movies still for me to see that I, uh, she's in. And I look forward to seeing all of them. So, Helena Bonham Carter, number 9, born in the 60s, uh, number 44 overall, and it should be noted, she's spent most of her time on my spreadsheet in the top 10. Uh, it has only been recently that she has started to trend downward as I have started to explore more and more films in her filmography. Uh, films such as Merlin, which I really didn't like, uh, Novocaine, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, Turks and Caicos, like I said, Ocean's 8, The 55 Steps, which is another recent film of hers, Lady Jane I mentioned I didn't quite enjoy, Maurice, um, Salting the Battlefield, uh, a film from, I think, last year? Maybe it was this spring? Jeez. Uh, Sergeant Stubby, colon, an American hero, which she has a voice role in, absolute garbage absolute garbage uh but more more often than not i believe movies with helena bottom carter in them are good and that's that helena bottom carter moving on uh to number eight number eight uh this actor was also was born in uh california on february 5th 1962 I've seen 24 films uh, from her filmography. She has an average film rating of 66.67. She has one Oscar nomination and 14, and a 14 a value of 14 to have a score of 75.54 or 38th overall. Uh, so a few spots up from Helena Bonham Carter. One spot ahead of Albert Brooks, one spot below Catherine Hepburn is Jennifer Jason. Lee, born Jennifer Lee Morrow. Fun fact, uh, she has, she was not really always on my radar as an actor. I think it wasn't until, I want to say, 2015 when I really started to feel like uh, I was missing something. Uh, 2015 brought her with The Hateful Eight. Uh, which is probably a pretty br big breakout role of hers uh, for a lot of people, I would imagine, uh, as well as the animated uh, film and her voice role in Anomalisa, both of which I think are quite good. Uh, Hateful Eight garnering her a, um, a uh, an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor, uh, and you know, well deserved. I think she can she has the ability to embody that sort of manic uh, personality in a way that a lot of people don't, uh, especially just, you know, she, she, you know, you look at a picture of her, you see her in these movies. She's almost always cast as someone with kind of a chip on her shoulder someone who has this sort of antagonism against the world. You can see it a little bit in annihilation. You can see it in good time. You can see it in, uh, the Spectacular Now and The Machinist, uh, she has that vitriol. It feels like it's like always right beneath the surface uh, in Jennifer Jason Lee. 
And that, on you know, on the other hand, makes the roles where she doesn't bring that forth or to the surface uh, just as just as um, fascinating. Uh, she was in White Boy Rick this year, which definitely is a little bit more of a subdued character for her. She's a little more understated. She's not outwardly antagonistic as she is in some of her other roles. Uh, but, um, or uh, LBJ from 2016, I think she she manages to play a convincing character role that doesn't rely on you know anger which is a lot of is the case a lot of the time she started acting more on television uh than she did in film finally making through the transition uh, transition in i would say like the 90s uh you know she had a pretty big breakthrough in the early 80s at fast times but you know, you look at, you see like the second, like the second row of her most popular films on Letterboxd includes The Machinist, Road to Perdition, The Spectacular Now, and Synecdoche, New York, which, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, most people are, are favorable towards those movies. I would say a lot of people, many people have seen them, but I think they're not movies that generally make their way into a lot of conversations, you know, especially Machinist and Road to Perdition. Uh, Spectacular Now, here and there, Synecdoche, New York is definitely the one of those four that I've heard the most uh, outside of just watching the movie. Um, and even in her top row of most popular films, like Good Time isn't, isn't a film that gets talked about that often. Anomalisa is not a film that gets talked about that often. Uh, so she hasn't been in a lot of big movies a lot of popular movies she doesn't really do blockbusters uh i feel i'm pretty sure hateful eight is you know the movie that made the most for her the movie she's in that made the most money and that's more on the back you know mostly on the back of tarantino uh and his you know regulars than i think anything else so it's interesting to to track uh, some of these people who don't have these huge catalogs of you know big over-the-top blockbusters who haven't been in Harry Potter who haven't been in Avatar or a fight club or, or something to that degree and you know she really hasn't and yet she's done some really outstanding work in a lot of these low, lower uh, more indie level films uh, Unlike, say, especially Terry Notary, whose list of films, in my opinion, as far as my scores are concerned, is very top-heavy, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee only has four films rated above an 80 from me. And it's not that I think, you know, it's mostly the reason she's gotten as high on the list as she has is because so many of these other films that she's been in are hitting in the 60s, 70s range. Uh, you know, the ones that drop below that are few and far between. With LBJ, which I mentioned earlier, as my least favorite, but it still gets, that one still got a 32. So she never dipped below into that quote-unquote awful range of 0 to 24. Uh, some of the films that she's been in that I haven't seen uh, include 2017's, well, I don't really count... <laughs> From 2017, Twin Peaks, The Return, which is not a movie. Uh, you have Morgan from 2016. Margot at the Wedding from 2007. Miami Blues from 1990. Single White Female. Dolores Claiborne. Flesh and Blood. Amityville, The Awakening. Uh, the Hey Arnold movie. Palindromes. Patrick Melrose. Uh, a lot of movies as it turns out. You know, I, I've only seen 24 films. She's been in 74 uh, as of Letterboxd's calculations. So I still got twice as many left to, to go through. So for me, Jennifer Jason Lee, number eight 
born in the 1960s, number 38 overall. Uh, which brings us to number seven. Number seven. Born in the United Kingdom, December 22nd, 1962. Uh, this actor has 41 film credits to his name that I've seen. An average film rating of 62.73. Two Oscar nominations, a value of 16.5, and, and a score of 76.31. Uh, to be ranked 31st overall. Very strong resume for Mr. Ray Fiennes. Uh, Ray Fiennes, who, like Helena Bonham Carter, like uh, I believe every other, uh, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not, uh, most uh, highly rated British actors on my spreadsheet, has been in some Harry Potter movies. As Voldemort, he has been in five, four. He's credited as five on Letterboxd, but... As far as I'm aware, he does not make an appearance in uh, Half-Blood Prince. Uh, I looked it up right before doing this episode. Could not find the evidence. So, four Harry Potter movies. Five, four, five, seven, and eight. Uh, but much, much more beyond that, Ray Fiennes, like Helena Bonham Carter, has been in many other films uh, and a wide range of genres and uh, types. From Skyfall... Uh, frequently regarded as the best, one of, if not one of, if not the best, James Bond films, uh, Schindler's List, The Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, voice role, uh, In Bruges, Hail Caesar, The Hurt Locker, The Prince of Egypt, A Bigger Splash, The Reader, The English Patient, voice role in The Curse of the Were Rabbit, voice role in the Lego Batman movie. Uh, Strange Days, Quiz Show, The Constant Gardener, Spider, The Duchess, uh, Wrath and Clash of the Titans, Coriolanus, uh, Made in Manhattan. He, he's he's really you know covered the spectrum, rom coms, Shakespeare, period pieces. Uh, he's done thrillers, dark comedies like in Bruges. Um, Oscar Beatty movies like The English Patient, you know, indies like A Bigger Splash, war movies with The Hurt Locker, plenty of animated roles, fantasy. Uh, you know, he was with Wes Anderson. He's been with Spielberg. Uh, you know, James Bond. He he's been everywhere. He's done pretty much everything, uh, and that's kind of the hallmark of a great actor in a lot of ways. You know, they're not pigeonholed into a single role. And I, I don't mean to malign any, any you know, um, actors' legacies who did play the same role every single time. But there is something missing from that resume if every single performance you give, you know, is the same character. Uh, off the top of my head, somebody like Gary Cooper is almost always, you know, a goody-two-shoes American boy character, and it's frustrating to watch his movies because that's almost always what he is, which is fine. He's very good at that role, and if you have that role, he's the best guy for it, almost always, but it does, you know, prevent a lot of speculation and, and intrigue into the character that he's playing. Ray Fiennes, not at all. He can be in uh, Nanny, Nanny McPhee uh, or The Avengers or Great Expectations uh, or something called The Chum Scrubber, which I've seen but don't really remember. Uh, you know, he was in all three um, films alongside uh, the aforementioned Helena Bottom Carter, who was in Page Eight, Assaulting the Battlefield, Turks and Caicos. Uh, he's been in both Skyfall and Spectre, Harry Potter, so on and so on. Ray Fiennes, who's been nominated twice for an Oscar, uh, the first time for, oh, I don't remember the, I believe the first time is Schindler's List. I think, oh, maybe I don't have these years right. Yes, the first time was for Shannon's List, the second time was for The English Patient. 
uh, winning neither. Winning neither. He is. Uh, I don't know. You know, he he hasn't quite connected uh, on a on a level close enough. You know, he came. I believe he came very close to getting a nomination for his performance in the Grand Budapest Hotel. He was pretty spectacular in a quirky comedy. You know, he was quite good in a bigger splash. That one missed uh, the the awards season as well. Uh, but mo- a lot of these movies, um, outside of you know Grand Budapest and Schindler's List, you know he's mostly doing bit parts, supporting roles, character roles uh, in Hail Caesar, mostly just a bit part. Uh, Kubo on the Two Strings, he's a supporting role. Uh, not that he, he's had plenty of his fair share of lead performances. Quiz Show and Strange Days, I love both of these movies. I think they're very, very good. He had a fantastic mid-90s from like the ni- 92 to 96, uh, which included Schindler's List and The English Patient in that span of like four years, uh, which I, I think was fantastic. Uh, he... Uh, I really enjoy his performance in Spider. I thought I think Spider is an underrated film that deserves more more credit. Coriolanus, uh, opposite Gerard Butler in a Shakespeare movie of all things. Like I don't know how that movie was great, but it was pretty great. <laughs> and Ray Fiennes is pretty great in it. Uh, he's 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 done it all, and he's done it all quite 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 well. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is my favorite film that he's been in. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson, and I think his sensibilities, Anderson's, I mean, uh, are a very, a very much a change of pace for for Fines. And I think giving him, I, I would love to have seen like just how much Anderson had to like encourage him into the role he played. Because it is very different from a lot of the performances that we've seen him in. You know, this is a far cry from Voldemort, from James Bond, from Schindler's List, from uh, even from you know the dark comedy comedy bits like in Bruges. Uh, this is very tongue-in-cheek, quirky comedy. You know, and that's not a position that I think Fines is often put in. So. I, I was really impressed by his performance there. And pretty much in all of his movies. You know, even his voice roles. Prince of Egypt, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Lego Batman. You know, they're not lead roles, but they're, you know, he's... He's got a, an, a voice that's not quite recognizable enough uh, to, to, you know, overpower the characters he's he's voicing. Uh, but he's still able to lend his voice in, an, in a way that feels authentic, that feels true to the characters that he's portraying, uh, which is, you know, pretty much exactly what you're you're trying to achieve when you're, you know, doing a voice role. Um, in Harry Potter, uh, having recently seen the last the, the Deathly Hallows one and two. Um, I I don't know, it's tough, you know, going from a book to a film and, and trying to capture a character that a lot of people, especially people watching the movie, already have an idea of what that character is like in their heads. And I don't know how... It's been a while since I've read the books, so I'm not sure exactly how close he came to the Voldemort as portrayed in the books. But my issue had always been with his portrayal of Voldemort, less that he was bad at it. Because I think he makes a pretty scary Voldemort. There are definitely some uh, really tense tense scenes that he has. Uh, I think a little, his, his sort of his line delivery is a little slurred at times, especially with the spells. But more to the point, I think the bigger problem uh, sort of arcing over everything else is the direction of the darkness of the films, especially toward the end. You know, I think three through five, they got the tone a lot closer to where it was. And I think 
as this series progresses, it does get darker. It does, you know, uh, involve more and more death and and despair. And I I understand that, but like the color palette just shifts so violently uh, in the last three films to, you know, absolutely no light, no sun. It's it's really depressing, and I think it goes. I think Yates goes way too far in that to that degree so and i think that just kind of forced fines to really like keep up and and it ended up skewing the character too much in that sense but i loved him in the fourth i think he, he did great at the end of goblet of fire uh i thought that's the best those are like the best scenes i've seen fines in as voldemort uh, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Fines. Uh, some of the movies of his I haven't yet seen. Uh, the Baby of Macon from 1993. Wuthering Heights from 92, opposite Juliette Binoche. Uh, Oscar and Lucinda from 97. Sunshine from 99. Um, Onigan, Onigan from 99. The Good Thief from 2002. He's got a couple of films coming up. Uh, which I'm going to determine as soon as Letterboxd lets me. Any second now. Aha! He is in Holmes and Watson, coming out in limited release uh, next month. He has two other 2018 films uh, on his docket, that don't have posters, so I'm guessing they don't come out this year anymore, uh, called Flying Horse and Official Secrets. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, is set to play Dr. Doolittle in a new Dr. Doolittle movie, which uh, is, stars Ray Fine as well. And he will be in the new Bond movie coming out in 2020, Bond 25, or whatever they change the name to be. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to more of his films, uh, and there's plenty left to, to check out in the, in the meantime. So, that is number seven, born in the 1960s, and number 31 overall, Rafe Fiennes. Number six. Number six. A little bit of a jump here. A little bit of a jump up here. Uh, born in California, July 5th, 1968, with 17 films that I've seen that he has been in, an average film rating of 72.94, no Oscar nominations, a value of 14.5, and a score of 79.76 to be ranked 17th overall. So a big jump up from 31st to 17th is one Michael Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg. As I said, only 17 films, so he is very closely aligned with Terry Notary in terms of how many films I've seen. Uh, And even his whole filmography, Letterboxd only lists him in 33 movies. So 17 is already more than half of that, assuming all of them on this list are slated to come out, which they aren't. So 17 out of 32 is 53%. However, Michael Stuhlbarg is a fantastic supporting actor, Uh, And in the rare occasion where he is given the opportunity to lead, uh, he is fantastic there too. Uh, In the small number of films that he has been in, uh, including uh, such Best Picture nominees as Arrival, Shape of Water, Call Me By Your Name, The Post, uh, Lincoln, Blue Jasmine, I think, maybe, maybe not, I don't remember now. Um... Other films nominated for Oscars, uh, I'm, which I'm not 100% sure whether or not they were nominated for Best Picture. Specifically, Hugo is one I think was, but I don't know that for certain. Doctor Strange, Trumbo. Um, yeah, he, he's in some pretty fantastic films. Uh, Steve Jobs, Seven Psychopaths, Men in Black 3. Eh. Uh, hard to find a true blemish you know men in black 3 is meh but it's not garbage you know um, the post is doing its thing as a spielberg film with 
you know, one of the most stacked casts of all time. Uh, you know, Blue Jasmine, you know, Kate Blanchett is phenomenal in Blue Jasmine. Uh, 2012's Hitchcock, uh, 2016's Miss Sloan. Uh, these are, you know, they're not perfect. They're not awful. They're just solid films that have, you know, a lot of good elements to them. And most of these movies, Stuhlbarg is a huge part of elevating them. Uh, I'm looking at Arrival, Shape of Water, Steve Jobs, Call Me By Your Name. Uh, last year, alone, in, between Shape of Water and Call Me By Your Name, he had some of the best scenes of the year uh, as Elio's father in Call Me By Your Name. He was fantastic. You know, his his advice scenes... Uh, his advice scenes were very touching, very fatherly. He has that warmth to him. Uh, almost, I would almost compare his role in Call Me By Your Name to a little, to, to Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. I think there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, and, you know, you think about movies like Doctor Strange or Lincoln or Hugo and you know, you don't necessarily remember the character that he played in these movies, but I think his resume and his list of films really do speak for themselves beyond that. Uh, you know, in Hugo, he played Rene Rabard. I don't know who that was. It's been a long time since I've seen Hugo, but I, I don't remember anything about that role. Um, in Lincoln, uh, he played... George Yemen, 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 Yemen. I, th I think he was like a representative or a senator, but I couldn't tell you for sure. In Doctor Strange, which came out two years ago, uh, he was a Dr. Nicodemus West. I don't know. I guess if I was guessing, I would say he's the doctor that operated on Benedict Cumberbatch's character, but... I could be mistaken. Uh, I think there are just a lot of films where he kind of gets lost in the background. And finally, last year, it really felt like he was starting to elevate himself out of that between Shape of Water and Call Me Our Name and The Post. Uh, he really did put himself in a position where he was in the conversation to get a nomination for supporting actor. He was, you know, a name on people's minds and in their on their lips, and and it. It's great. I think he really deserves that recognition. He's a pretty fantastic actor. If you look at something where he is given a lead role, like a serious man, you know, a serious man, which I've watched, I watched after, uh, after the the seeing him in some of these other movies last year. He's great. He is great in a serious man, uh, a Coen Brothers movie. You know, he fits their sensibilities to a T. Uh, they really give him the chance to, uh, you know, just really go for this performance where he's able to be on screen more than 50% of the movie. He's able to do as much as he wants uh, with the the role that he's given. And he, he's able to interact with a lot of different characters, not, you know, just kind of play off the main ones more so than not. And I think that that really showed his range. It showed he has the capabilities to anchor his own film. And that was almost 10 years ago now. And I'm looking at his filmography. That's the only film I see that he's on the poster for. And, you know, that's a shame. Yeah, not that he's not getting work. Not that he's not still doing fantastically. Well, like a great job in the films that he's getting. But, I, you know, he deserves... Maybe not to be like the new Tom Cruise by any stretch, but at least, you know, more opportunities to get bigger and meatier roles. And hopefully that will come in uh, the wake of his pretty incredible 2017. Uh, some of the films of his I haven't seen include uh, 2008's Body of Lies, 2015's Miles Ahead, uh, Cold Souls from 2009, Cut Bank from 2014, The Gray Zone from 2001, and I'm already into movies that I, I really have never heard of or any, I have any idea about. 
the future films of his that he has signed on to in some capacity or rumored to be in or whatever have you uh, include uh, Call Me By Your Name's sequel supposedly coming in 2020 uh, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition or not I know that um, Guadagnino really wants to do that and I hope that it's as successful as the first one, at least, if not financially, critically. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I wish there was a bigger catalog of films from Stuhlbark, but you know, the ones he's in are pretty incredible and worth checking out if you haven't seen any of them. So that's number six from the 1960s. Number 17, overall, Michael Stuhlbarg. Michael Stuhlbarg. Moving on to the top half of this top ten list, uh, we go to we go back. Uh, well, I guess we we leave the United States again. This time, our number five is born in Australia, May fourteenth, nineteen sixty nine. Uh, she has forty three films and credits that I've seen, an average film rating of sixty four point one six seven Oscar nominations, including two wins a value of 19, and a score of 80.31. Stuhlbarg was ranked 17th. Kate Blanchett. Blanchett is ranked 14th overall. She is another actor who has spent almost her entire time on the spreadsheet in and around the top 10. Um, This has not changed. And she is, you know, she does all of it. Uh, last year, she was in Thor Ragnarok as Hela. Uh, three years ago, she was Oscar-nominated for her role in Carol. She has been in six, all six of the Middle Earth films, all three Lord of the Rings films, all three Hobbit films. I think overall that's a positive, but there are definitely some some missteps in that franchise. Uh, she was in Ocean's Eight this year. She was Oscar-nominated for Carol. Notes on a Scandal, I'm Not There. Uh, Oscar winner for The Aviator, Oscar winner for Blue Jasmine. Uh, She was also nominated for Elizabeth, The Golden Age. And that's it, is that seven? Golden Age to... Oh, and Elizabeth. I missed the first Elizabeth. Also Oscar-nominated for Elizabeth. Uh, so, obviously a well-loved actor by the Academy, by audiences. She is incredibly talented. She has won two SAGs, two Golden Globes, two BAFTAs. Uh, it's just, you know, ev- everything, right? She's done the period pieces. Uh, like Elizabeth, she's done the fantasy, she's done the Marvel, right? She's done heist movies like Ocean's 8, she's done dramas, more traditional dramas like Curious Case of Benjamin Button and Blue Jasmine, The Aviator, she was in Life Aquatic, Uh, she lent her voice to How to Train Your Dragon 2, she was in Cinderella, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, she was fantastic in Hannah, Uh, she was great in Babel, uh, I'm not there. Where she plays Bob Dylan is is just unbelievable. She was in. Uh, she, I recently saw her in six like sixteen, fifteen different roles in Manifesto, which I don't know that the movie itself is very good, but just what you know, just being bombarded with different Kate Blanchett roles is always a good time. Uh, she was in The Good German and The Shipping News and Heaven and Girl Rising. She helped with that. Uh, also this year, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, which is not great, but fine, I guess. The Monuments Men and Russell Crowe's Robin Hood and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. She pretty, uh, you know, could do anything, can do it all everything 
And what's staggering uh, in a lot of ways is she plays Galadriel in uh, the Middle Earth films, all three Lord of the Rings, all three Hobbit films. Um, the first Lord of the Rings film came out in 2001. Uh, the last Hobbit film came out in 2014. She does not look any different in those two films. She is... I, you know, you look at her in Thor Ragnarok, and the notion that she's, you know, pushing 50 is laughable. Uh, she's fantastic. She's st- still able to do the physical work uh, in an action movie like Ragnarok. Uh, not that she does a lot of action films, to be honest. Uh, it's really that and Hannah, for the most part. Um, but she's able to... She's a committed actor. She's not going to just you know phone in a performance. You look at something like The House with a Clock in Its Walls, uh, whose you know, wordy title probably immediately... Pre- you know, brings ideas of, you know, this is probably garbage, and it's not good by any stretch. But even in the house with a clock in its walls, her banter with Jack Black is fantastic. She's not just, you know, giving in to being in this kind of silly little kids Halloween movie. She's more than, you know, she's able to give a meaningful performance to this character that you know you put somebody else there and they're just collecting a paycheck and and she's not willing to do that she's pretty pretty fantastic almost across the board in all of these films um, and I've said you know they're not all great I think um, you know Battle of the Five Armies is bad Elizabeth the Golden Age, she was nominated for an Oscar for this film. I don't think it's very good. Ocean's 8, as I've said. Robin Hood is not good. Uh, The Gift and the Good German. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is pretty awful. Monument is pretty awful. But when she's in them, they don't feel that bad. Which is kind of the big point. Honestly. I think that's, you know, what makes her as good as she is. Um, moving on, some of the other films, so I've seen uh, 42 films, credits that she's been in, Letterboxd credits her with 81, that includes films that haven't come out yet, uh, only 78 that she's been in that are released, so that's about 53% as of right now, and some of the films that she I haven't seen yet are Truth from 2015, Bandits from 2001, The Missing from 2003, Pushing Tin from 99, Veronica Guerin from 2003, An Ideal Husband from 99, Charlotte Gray from 2001, uh, The Man Who Cried, Oscar and Lucinda, which also stars Ray Fiennes, Little Fish, the opposite of Big Fish, and yeah. A lot of, lot of recognizable films, films I've actually been excited to, to check out, mostly due to her involvement. Uh, some of the film, some films that she is going to be in and uh, have not come out yet include Mowgli, Andy Serkis's take on The Jungle Book, which comes to Netflix in December, and I believe we'll be getting a small run in theaters, so if you have the chance. I'm really looking forward to that for what that's worth. Uh, As well as uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3, The Hidden World, where she is the voice of Hiccup's mom, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Valka, great name, Valka. Uh, So I'm looking for that too. And then the other film of hers on the list comes out next year called Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is a Richard Linklater film uh, starring Kate Blanchett, Billy Crudup, Kristen Wiig, Judy Greer, Lawrence Fishburne, um, Emma Nelson, among others. So, looking forward to that as well. Um, yeah. Kate Blanchett, 
Uh, she is number five, born in the 60s, and number 14 overall. With number four, we enter the top 10. Uh, so four of the top 10 actors on my spreadsheet have been born in the 1960s as of right now. Uh, and number four, born in the United Kingdom, November 5th, 1960. Uh, I believe the oldest act, living actor on this list is uh, has 29 film credits that I've seen, an average film rating of 68.21, one Oscar nomination and one win for that same nomination, uh, a value of 19.5, a score of 83.8.31 to be ranked seventh overall. So more than half of the top seven are from the 1960s. Uh, and this person in question is the incredible Tilda Swinton. Um, some of the films that she's been in that I've already mentioned on this list include Doctor Strange, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Hail Caesar, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, any others? Maybe that's it. <laughs> A Bigger Splash. Da, 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 da. Yes. Bigger Splash. And she is... A frequent collaborator with Wes Anderson. Uh, Budapest Hotel, Moonrise Kingdom, Isle of Dogs. Uh, she has worked with the Coens on Hail Caesar, Burn After Reading. She has worked She has worked with Luca Guadagnino on Suspiria and A Bigger Splash. She's in the Narnia movies as the White Witch. Uh, she was in Broken Flowers and The Beach, Vanilla Sky, Michael Clayton, Trainwreck, Adaptation, uh, Only Lovers Left Alive, which I love. Uh, Jim Jarmusch, she works a lot with Jim Jarmusch on Only Lovers Left Alive and The Limits of Control. Uh, she was in Orlando, which I, I thought was fantastic. She's incredible in Orlando, which is not, which is a shame. I think she should have uh, been nominated for an Oscar there, but wasn't her win. Her Oscar win came from Michael Clayton, which is a fantastic performance. Not, Don't get me wrong. Uh, I Am Love is fine. She's really good in it. Uh, it's another Guadagnino film. I wasn't super taken by it, but I think it's very good. I, I mean, <laughs> I think she's very good. I think it's fine. Um... Snowpiercer, Okja, you know, she has worked with Bong, Bong Joon-ho, who is a fantastic director, a fantastic filmmaker, and I'm always looking out for his next films. And she's now been in two of them. So, uh, Tilda Swinton, the rare British actor who has not been in a Harry Potter movie, uh, is perfectly fine in that department though she has been in a plethora of films 94 credits uh, on letterboxd total um and then hiding the ones that haven't come out yet 90 films still a very high number i've seen 29 of them so about a third a lot of films left on her resume that i haven't seen and the vast majority are are good to great you know that's kind of what you expect when somebody's a in the top 10 uh, and considering my least favorite is Hail Caesar which I am in the minority on not liking but do intend to watch again at some later point I'd say she's doing all right uh, she's in her other bad films in my opinion are the zero theorem is very bad uh, vanilla sky the beach and war machine I don't quite like any of those but everything else is fine to good to great to amazing uh you know even something like constantine is okay like very okay but you know you put her in a film where she's given uh 
a substantial role like an Okja, like a Snowpiercer, where she's not necessarily the lead, uh, but is given enough to work with where she's able to really go for some of these characters, uh, especially with Bong Joon-ho. Uh, she is absolutely crazy in Snowpiercer and Okja, and I think it's perfect for her. Uh, then you move over to something like Only Lovers Left Alive, or We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, and suddenly you're seeing a completely different ethereal side of her. Uh, you know, this sort of, like, Only Lovers <laughs> only lovers, lovers Left Alive could have been, you could tell me that that's, like, who she is, because uh, like a Kate Blanchett, 20 years ago she looked identical to how old, she, you know, she's, you know, almost 60. She's almost 60. I just saw her in Suspiria. She looks like 35. It's it's pretty incredible. It's it's pretty ridiculous, actually. Uh, and speaking of Suspiria, she's very good in that. I think the film is good. I think there's some problems, and it's a little long, but it has a lot of fascinating aspects to it, not to sort of tip my hand too much. And I think Tilda Swinton is one of the better parts about it. She plays multiple roles in the film, uh, for better or worse. Mostly for better, but mostly for better. Uh, some of the films of hers I haven't seen uh, on, on her entire filmography includes The Man from London from 2007, 2005's Thumbsucker, uh, Caravaggio from 86, Blue from 93, Julia from 2008, 99's The War Zone, 2003's Young Adam, The Last of England from 87, The Deep End from 2001, and so on and so on. A lot of movies, a lot of movies on this list. And, uh, you know, half of them, <laughs> a lot of them don't even have posters. Who knows, you know, whether they're, whether they've come out yet or not. And a lot of them are foreign language films. You know, she is... British, she dabbles, you know, she moves into, like, she does foreign language roles, even, uh, it's, it's, you know, jack of all trades is Tilda Swinton, and some of the films she has upcoming, um, include, uh, Wes Anderson's film from 2020, uh, next year with Jim Jarmusch, the film The Dead Don't Die, uh, co-starring Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Chloe Sevigny, Selena Gomez, Steve Buscemi, Rosie Perez, Daniel Craig, Caleb Landry-Jones, Austin, Austin Butler, like what a cast. Uh, she is going to be in, that might be kind of a spoiler, because I believe, yeah, I'm going to leave those off. Uh, you can do the research if you want, but... There's definitely some stuff upcoming for her that I am very much looking forward to and, and very excited to get a chance to see. So, all that said, number four, Tilda Swinton. I love her. I think she's amazing. Uh, she's number four from the 1960s, number seven overall, and uh, totally deserves it, if I'm being honest. Number three. Number three. This is a guy who I've talked about quite a bit. I won't go too deep into him. I think I feel like I bring him up every other time I do a list of actors, which is obviously untrue, but does feel that way in, a, in some of the time. Uh, born in the United Kingdom, April 20th, 1964. I've seen 30 films that he's been in. He has an average film rating of 67.93, no Oscar nominations, a film value of 20, a score of 83.69, is ranked sixth overall, so just one spot above... Tilda Swinton, is one of my favorite actors. Uh, I have given him and awarded him my best lead performance, Circle of Film Award, in the past, uh, specifically last year, and that is Andy Serkis. Andy Serkis. He's been in Lord of the Rings, War for Planet of the Apes, the other Planet of the Apes, he was in Black Panther, he was in Avengers Age of Ultron, he's been in the Hobbit movies, he's been in the new Star Wars films, um, he was in The Prestige, he did King Kong, 
uh, you know, he's been in some pretty big profile things. You move outside of that, you've got The Adventures of Tintin, Arthur Christmas, uh, 13 going on 30, Flushed Away, 1999's Topsy Turvy, uh, Career Girls, which I, I actually quite enjoyed by Mike Lay. Uh, he's worked with Mike Lay multiple times. He's got a long list. Uh, he's British. He has not been in Harry Potter. What are the odds? Not good, honestly. Um, but like Terry Notary, uh, he is very much a motion capture artist uh, who has done a lot of work where you don't see his face, specifically Lord of the Rings, specifically Star Wars, um, Planet of the Apes. You know, he comes, you come out of those films, and if you're not watching the credits, if you're not, you know, looking to see who did those things, you may not even know his name. You may not know what he looks like. He has had some pretty high-profile visual, you know, roles where you see his face, like Avengers and Black Panther and The Prestige. But, you know, three of his most, you know, 13 most popular films on here, or rather 10 of his most popular 13 films are 12. Uh, 11, 